Hey, pals, want to listen to the Big Listen on the go? Yeah, you do. Well, you can with the NPR One app. But NPR One isn't just podcasts. It finds you the best from public radio and beyond. So that means international news, local stories, as well as your favorite podcasts, including the ones you hear on this very show. No way. NPR One makes commuting, jogging, or cleaning your baseboards better. Find NPR One in your app store today. Now, before we start, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to The Big Listen. If you love the show or even just want to take us out for a platonic coffee date, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. Thanks so much. Now, let's start the show. Spring is easily my favorite season. It's a time of rebirth and renewal and realizing that I've grown out of all of my spring and summer clothes. Anyway, I'm not the only one who gets excited about spring. Way up there in Scandinavia, they're pretty amped to ditch winter, too. In Denmark, we have um, a special day in the spring where the calves, the young calves, are coming out in the fields. And when they are let out of the stables, they are just, you know, like running and hopping and are just like crazy with spring feeling. So why all this talk about leaping cows and barns and spring fever? I use that picture uh, to describe the feeling of the podcast world right now. And I think that that has been very, very strong in, in the US. It, it, it feels like a lot of producers certainly found a freedom that they have longed for. From WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the American broadcast about podcasts. I'm Lauren Ober, and I'm here to help you navigate these fields of frolicking spring cows. Look how excited they are. I was just thinking in my mind, like, you don't want to get run over by them. It's like a stampede. It's a stampede of frolicking spring cows. Like, let me out of this barn. <laughs> Jeg hedder Susanna Sommer. Jeg er øh, vært og producer på programmet P1 Podcaster. Susanna Sommer is a Danish radio host. Basically, she's my Scandinavian doppelganger. Podcast værten og dem der laver podcast. <laughs> Do you want to know what I said? Um, I hope you didn't say anything bad in, in no, Danish. I, I just said that my name is Susanna Sommer and I'm producing the show P1's Podcasting, which every week explores the world of podcasting and podcasters. Susanna and I connected on Twitter. She tweeted at us in Danish after our first show. So my producer and I, uh, we looked at your Twitter bio and then, but it's all in Danish, so we had to... Um, we had to use Google Translate. And can I read to you what it, what it, how it translates? And in English, it reads: Explorers, Explorers in, reality. in reality, radio man with ears on stocks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what it should say is that um, I'm an explorer in reality, uh, and a radio man is kind of a, a radio nerd. In Danish. Okay. And, and ears on stalks is a Danish expression that you have your ears just everywhere in the world. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So you actually are a radio man with ears on stalks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hear more from Susanna later in the show. But now, fellow radio men, let's put our ears on stocks on an American podcast that has sparked similar shows in Denmark and beyond. You're listening to Song Exploder. My name is Rishikesh Hirway. Courtney Barnett released the show's concept is pretty simple. Take a song and deconstruct it into its component parts. Explode it, if you will. In this episode, Courtney Barnett breaks down her song to Preston, which began with a visit to an open house on a house hunting trip she took in the town of Preston. But Rishikesh doesn't do this himself. The artists do. So you're getting this amazing window into the creative process of some of the most innovative musicians around. Well, it's a disease to stay on the press metal ceilings great. Song Exploder from Radiotopia is hosted by musician Rishikesh Hirway. I didn't have a formal, any kind of formal training in terms of recording music or really 
writing music, but I grew up in uh, sort of like a the school of Fugazi of do it yourself and just you know figure out what you're gonna do. So I started learning wherever I could, you know, from from friends of mine who had recording equipment to try and learn how to make songs. So then, what made you want to take a deep dive into other people's music? You know, I get the chance sometimes to talk to friends of mine, people who I who I've met from playing shows and and making records and and getting a chance to sort of like sit in their studio and see what they're doing. It's a really privileged position to be in. You know, some of the people who I'm really influenced by, I've gotten to become friends with, and sitting there and and getting to hear them talk about how they make music, you know, it, it all sort of comes out of natural conversations just with friends, music friends. You you hear a song, you love it, and then you ask them, like, how did you make that? And then you get into it. And it just seemed like something that other people would appreciate as well. I feel like after listening to an episode of Song Exploder, there's this feeling of that a, a magician has somehow has revealed a magic trick to me or sort of like pulled back the curtain. Do you feel like you're kind of letting listeners in on some sort of secret? A magic trick is exactly the metaphor that I was using at the beginning of the show, actually. You know, when I was first starting out making the podcast, there was the, the format was a little different from how it is now. I used to play the song, the song that was featured in the episode first, and then do the sort of discussion and breakdown afterwards. Um, and after four episodes, I changed that. But but part of my reason for that was I was like, you want to see the magic trick first and be wowed by it before you get the explanation of how it was made, you know, how it was done. So yeah, magic trick is definitely the, the idea that I was kind of uh, zeroing in on. But then it turned out I was wrong. I think it is actually better to have the discussion first and then play the song afterwards. Mm. So you've been producing the show uh, for about two years or just over two years. Over that time, you've had some pretty amazing guests on the show. Death Cab for Cutie, U2, Bjork. Can we just talk like Bjork? You had Bjork on recently and it kind of blew my mind. Um, What is the criteria for picking the songs or the artists to feature? Yeah, that blew my mind too. That is. <laughs> yeah, we could pause and just like think about Bjork for a second. Yeah. My name is Bjork, and I'm here to talk about Stone Milker on my album Vulnikura. She's just one of my biggest heroes of all time, and and last year she put out my favorite records in in 15 years, I think, uh, like. And and uh, we got to break down my favorite song, you know, the first track off mm-hmm. of that record. Everything about that was a dream come true. The whole song is mostly about wanting clarity, wanting simplicity, and talking to someone who wants things to be really complex and foggy and unclear. And you're saying, okay, I've got clarity. So, you know, want it or not. <laughs> so it's like sort of celebrating simplicity and clarity. I was walking on a beach and I was kind of walking back and forth and the lyrics kind of came along kind of without me really editing them. The strength of this album really is just simplicity and, you know, this kind of like thinking out loud feeling. (laughs) And I shouldn't be too clever. It would work against it. So I, I kind of just went with the first words that actually came. Moments of clarity are so rare I better document this That interview was done over the phone and she was in London and I was here in LA and it was six in the six o'clock in the morning my time so I was a little <laughs> bit out of it and the phone kept cutting off in the hotel like she we were talking on her hotel phone and it kept disconnecting and I kept worrying that the interview wasn't going to turn out well because I was losing the thread I was losing sort of the rhythm that you I tend to get into when when having a great conversation but mm-hmm. it was amazing because every time we would pick back up I mean this happened 3 or 4 times she would just immediately be able to reaccess these incredibly detailed and intimate secrets about her songs and how she made it and how it related to her 
emotional life and her, you know, her emotional state at the time and what, what she was going through. Um, it was pretty incredible. For me, it was very important with Stone Milker that the strings were kind of cyclical, this chord cycle that kind of gives you this feeling. It can go on and on in circles and gives you this feeling of equilibrium, like the person who's singing the song is showing some sort of harmony to someone as an example. I layered several recordings of the strings to be like a tower of equilibrium <laughs> that you are standing in, like a monument of equilibrium. And you're standing in the middle of it and you're small and it's huge and it just goes circle and circle and you feel very safe and secure. And that's sort of the clarity that uh, I would want to offer, try to offer emotionally in the song. She's already a sort of otherworldly entity, and then to have her explain her process was, I mean, it really was sort of like pulling back the curtain so far, and and you're like, I never expected I would ever know this. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting parts of, of the podcast is how you get these isolated tracks, vocals or drums or bass or whatever, Tell me the process. Or do they get proprietary about it? Has anybody said no? People have definitely said no. Um, and there's also been instances where an episode has been impossible because there weren't separated tracks made in the recording process. Mm-hmm. Um, another episode I thought that might be fun to feature um, on your show would be the, the episode I did on the making of the theme to Downton Abbey. <laughs> yes. Um and that's one where this was kind of the case where it was recorded by an orchestra and they're all in one room. In that case, what we ended up doing was the composer, John Lunn, he shared the MIDI tracks that he used mm-hmm, to write right. the song. And, and But then in comparison to the actual orchestra, it sounds it sounds so paltry, but, um, right. but it was another way of sort of seeing into the, the process. So it starts with a train, then there's a spiccato part, a way of playing the viola and cello, which is quite spiky, but it's rhythmic, trying to match the tempo of the train, doing the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Then into view comes a man alone looking out of the window. Solo piano notes are kind of picked out. So the piano part contains virtually all the nodes that everybody else is playing. When, as we pan up, the kind of sweeping sort of string tune begins to come in. And then finally we arrive at this fantastic shot of the house where the harmony completely expands for the first time. Those chords from that part when we hit the house stayed all the way through the entire series and the house has become a character in itself associated with those chords. So you get this lovely sort of warm F major 7 chord. And then the next chord that comes after that was really crucial and it kind of gives it a kind of grandeur. It's quite an unusual chord. G major dominant seven third inversion. That kind of happened by accident, you know, but once I'd played it, I thought, oh, that's it. It's a little bit of a sense of a, a lost time, you know, the, the past is a different country, they do things differently there. It's funny, when you take them all apart, they don't sound like very much, but you put them all together, it really it takes on a life of its own.
Well, uh, Rishikesh Hirway, thank you so much for breaking down Song Exploder for us. It's been a blast. Thanks so much for having me. Rishikesh Hirway is the host of Song Exploder from Radiotopia. I mean, it's such a great concept. This is our Danish radio host pal, Susanna Summer, again. She told me about the Danish iteration of Song Exploder. It's hosted by... Benedicte. So the E is okay. kind of like an A. Benedicte. Or, yeah, Benedicte Granvi. Granvi. Okay. I mean, close enough. I, you know, I got, I almost got it. Um, and tell me the the name of your show. So it's called Selskred. Selskred. Um, yeah. My Danish <laughs> is, Danish is rough. <laughs> but it's, it's these nice Danish, almost guttural sounds, um, Selskred. Selskred. It's a weird, it's a weird language. <laughs> and so describe um, your show for me. I, there's really no two ways around it. Like it's obviously a blatant, I'm not going to say ripoff, but heavily inspired by Song Exploder. <laughs> so the the story is I heard uh, Song Exploder, I loved it. And then I was like, ah, really, I like I really love it. So what I do is I talk to Danish musicians or a, a band or a songwriter about a song that they choose, that they wrote. We talk in depth about it. I listen to it a million times and ask clever questions like, is that a clarinet? Or <laughs> tell me about the drums. <laughs> is there uh, is there an episode that you think that, that we should hear from your show, even if we can't understand it because it's in Danish? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, yes. But I'm just thinking. I'm just going to have a think and maybe get back to you on uh, on email with that. Because my episode number two is actually slightly also American because it's with a band where the one of the girls is American. Don't tell me how to farm Don't tell me how to farm Don't tell me how to farm That might be a possibility. Maybe that's the one. I'm just going to think and I'll send you a link <laughs> to it. Du lytter til Selvskrevet. En podcast om gode sange, fortalt af dem, der skriver dem. Jeg hedder Bendigte Granvi. I don't know. I have no idea what she was saying. But if you want to learn more about her show, Selvskrevet, Selvskrevet, uh, or Song Exploder, hit up biglisten.org. It has all the info in English. We need to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we'll talk to the reporters behind the podcast In the Dark about the challenges of finding answers to a nearly three-decade-long cold kidnapping case. The one thing that we didn't know, of course, is who did it. And so once we knew that, it allowed us to tell this much richer story. That's coming up in a quick tick here on The Big Listen. Stick with us. This is NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. Mmm, delicious! Ingredients come paired with an easy-to-follow recipe card delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. What fun! Get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping, by visiting blueapron.com slash biglisten. Hi, I'm Andrew Huff, and I live in the District of Columbia. Lately... I've been listening to the Ross Report podcast. It's a show hosted by World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Famer Jim Ross, considered by many to be the greatest announcer in the history of professional wrestling. The bottom line of it is, folks, is this, is that when is enough enough? And then how do you continue to top yourself? I'm only worried that Shane's going to try to top what Mick Foley did because there's a very small margin for error on that bump he took. It was, yeah. it was fearless. 
He has an incredible roster of friends and former colleagues that he brings onto the show, and he gives listeners a real behind-the-scenes look uh, at the professional wrestling industry. And I'd recommend this podcast to anybody who either was or is a fan of professional wrestling and wants to take a peek behind the curtain. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I want to know what podcasts you've been snacking on recently. Call us on our futuristic pod line and leave a message. The number is 202-885-POD1. Do not delay. Your country needs you. Now, we're going to get serious for a bit. About 30 years ago, an 11-year-old boy named Jacob Wetterling was kidnapped while riding home from a convenience store in his rural Minnesota neighborhood. It's a case that defied logic then and now. It is a crime that has both captivated and frustrated Minnesotans for the On past On the outskirts of his hometown of St. Joseph, a young boy's mysterious... It's the most feared type of abduction, one by a complete stranger. No ransom note, no contact. What happened to Jacob Wetterling? The investigation into the kidnapping gained all kinds of national and international interest, and it led to the passage of a federal law that helped protect kids from sexual predators. But it also trained a huge spotlight on law enforcement and their handling of the case. And that's what piqued the interest of the investigative journalists from the In the Dark podcast. As the hours ticked by in the late, late evening and early morning, The circle that started out so small on that road where Jacob was taken expanded many times over. Eventually, the circle would expand to include most of central Minnesota, then all of Minnesota, then the Midwest, Canada, the entire United States, the world. Madeline Barron is the host of In the Dark, and Samara Freemark is her producer. Um, Welcome, both of you, to The Big Listen. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Lauren. Great to talk to you. So this podcast, it's a a serial documentary. What was the, what was sort of the goal? What attracted you to this cold case? So I got interested in it. Um, so when I moved to Minnesota, I would hear people talk about Jacob, like no last name, just Jacob. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know at first what they were talking about and quickly realized that they were talking about this this boy, Jacob Wetterling, who'd gone missing in 1989, was never seen again. Not being from here, it wasn't part of like my collective memory of childhood like it was for a lot of people here. Um, and so about like a year and a half ago or so, um, I was working on another project. And I just like one day started reading about the Jacob Wetterling case. And immediately it got my interest because, you know, it's portrayed as like unsolvable mystery and it's kind of almost has like a horror movie quality to it, right? It's like, you know, this these boys are biking home from a video store and a man jumps out of the dark and snatches one of them and that's that's it. They passed the few blocks of houses. The lights of the town faded away. They kept going. They went past woods and fields. It got darker. There were no sidewalks and no streetlights. Not even the moon was out. The only light came from a flashlight that Jacob's brother, Trevor, flashed in front of them. They kept going. They approached the long gravel driveway, the spot where there'd been that rustling sound earlier. They were almost home. All of a sudden, a man appeared on the road. He was walking toward them. He was dressed all in black. His face was covered with something dark. It was hard to tell what. And then he told us he had a gun and he told us to turn around and go over into this ditch and put our bikes in there and lay down. Aaron talked to a TV reporter back then. I thought it was some kid pulling a prank on us or something, but it wasn't. And then he he looked at Trevor and he told Trevor to turn off his flashlight. The man asked Trevor his age. Ten, Trevor said. He told Trevor to run as fast as he could into the woods or else he'd shoot. Then the man turned to Aaron. 
The man paused. He asked him his age. Eleven, Aaron said. The man looked at Aaron, and the man grabbed him in the crotch. Then he looked at me, and then he grabbed Jacob, and he told me to run as fast as I could in the woods or he'd shoot. Did Jacob say anything to the man? Uh-uh. Just, just his age. Eleven, Jacob said. When you ran, did you look back? Yeah, once we got way down there. What and did you see? Nothing. He wasn't there anymore. When I started reading more about it, it seemed less mysterious and more, I don't know, like, you know, that Jacob was kidnapped on a dead-end road in a very small town of 3,000 people. There were witnesses. Police got there right away. One day, I just went for to get coffee with Samara and told her about it. And I don't know, Samara, what do you remember of this? The story itself was so fascinating just on its face, but then there were all these details that were just confusing and perplexing and seemed like really warranted a deeper look. As we talked about this, it just, it really seemed like the kind of story that lent itself to a different kind of format, a different kind of storytelling than we usually do. It seemed too big to do in, even in an hour-long documentary, it seemed like too much information, too much for a listener to take in, too much to fit into 60 minutes. And so we we started to think that maybe like a longer form, uh, more serialized thing would be would be appropriate for it. Now um, we should note uh, at the beginning that while this did seem unsolvable, it has recently, uh, while you were working on this, been solved. Somebody made a confession. Somebody who showed up very prominently in the investigation in early days. Uh, this this man named Danny Heinrich. So spoiler alert, but it's not because um, you right, mentioned it's definitely that. Definitely not. A quick note before we start the first episode of In the Dark. We were planning to put this out next week, but just today, there was a big development in the case that's at the center of this podcast. So we're getting started early. What was the feeling for you guys uh, when you're midstream and the case that you're you're trying to crack like gets cracked? And I would say, first of all, we were far past midstream. Okay. And also, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also we weren't trying to crack the case. Like we and and I think that's one thing that we were always trying to do that I think is different from a lot of true crime stories, whether they're podcasts or whatever, or, or just stories. Like, we weren't going into it, like, let's solve the case. Finally, we know. We know what the Wetterling family and all of Minnesota have longed to know since that awful night in 1989. We know the truth. I went to the press conference this afternoon. The back of the room was a forest of cameras. And up in front, behind a podium, and wrapping all the way around to the sides of the room, there were more than 20 men and women in suits and uniforms. The U.S. Attorney, the Stearns County Sheriff, agents from the FBI, and the State Crime Bureau. They took turns at the microphone and offered their condolences to Jacob's parents, who were sitting a few feet away. And then they thanked each other and praised each other for never giving up. 27 years is a very long time for an investigation to remain open and active. We are here today because of the perseverance of the investigative team the commitment to aggressively follow up on every single lead, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, and the absolute belief that if we continued to press, we would eventually solve this case. We got the truth. The Wetterling family can bring him home, and it's time for all of us to have the closure and the peace that we're hoping can come next. Thank you. But when a case takes 27 years to solve, we should stop and ask some tough questions of law enforcement, especially in a case like Jacob's, a case that's had devastating consequences far beyond the small town where this 11-year-old boy disappeared. So we were focused on what did the investigators do? Like, how is it possible that they missed whoever did this? The one thing that we didn't know, of course, is who did it. And so once we knew that, it allowed us to tell this much richer story, you know, okay, well, now we know, you know, that, that this guy, Danny Heinrich, he drove a blue car. Okay, so we've talked to people who've seen blue cars. And before, it's like, well, if it's, if we don't know who it is, we don't know the significance of law enforcement not talking to people who've seen blue cars. But now that we know those things, we know we can have a much clearer sense of 
where the points, the significant points in the story are where, you know, even not using hindsight, even just using, you know, what were the techniques of policing then were, were big moments of decisions that were really disastrous in this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a, it's really good for the story, like secondary to it being good for the family to know what happened. Right, right. But it did make the podcast much darker, I think, than we had ever imagined. After Jacob was kidnapped, everyone, the media, law enforcement, neighbors, talked about how surprising it was that a crime like that could happen here, in this quiet, rural place. The kind of place where you don't expect a child to be kidnapped at gunpoint. Considered to be America's quiet and safe heartland has struck One a night, one awful event has robbed this town of its innocence. The implication was that the agency in charge of investigating Jacob's disappearance the Stearns County Sheriff's Office had never worked a case like this before. A case so mysterious and terrifying. But that wasn't true. Jacob's kidnapping wasn't the first big case the Stearns County Sheriff's Office had dealt with. And it wasn't the first big case they'd failed to solve. The Jacob Wetterling case was just one in a long line of failed investigations. What I hope is that by looking back, like by us looking back and looking at what could have been done differently, that people will learn from this. Because when you think about it, it's, you know, there's a reluctance to do that for law enforcement. Like, you know, this idea that, well, law enforcement got stuck with this really tough case. And, you know, look, like you wouldn't want to get stuck with it. So they're doing the best they can. But we don't do that for any other type of job in this country. Yeah, We talk about a lot how in cases like this, the cold cases are really long cases. The way we talk about those as a society is we blame the failure to solve something on the genius of the criminal. And in in many of these cases, we're arguing, I think, that that it's worth sort of shifting the focus a little bit and taking a look at the people whose jobs it is to solve these cases and what they did and didn't do. Right, right. There were so many things that were bonkers. I mean, the, when as we're talking, I'm thinking about some instances like this man who confessed recently. Uh, when they when the police initially went to talk to him and search his stuff inside the house, they find black boots, camouflage pants, two radio scanners, and several locked trunks. Inside one of the trunks is a photograph of a boy in his underwear and another photo of a boy coming out of a shower with a towel wrapped around him. I can't tell you anything more about what those photos looked like, because law enforcement doesn't have them. During the search, Heinrich objected to the officers seizing the photos. According to documents filed last year, he told them the photos, quote, just didn't look right. So law enforcement let him keep the photos, and Heinrich later burned them. Now, what have you guys, what what have you all gleaned from the work that you've been doing? Okay, this might sound like a bit of a, a cliche, but, you know, why did I get into journalism to begin with? You know, would mm-hmm. be to tell these stories that involve power, decisions made by powerful people that are have devastating consequences on people's lives and haven't been exposed. Mm-hmm. And so when you can report a story like that, like that is the core mission of journalism, I'm grateful to be able to tell that story. I'm grateful to the people who shared what were some, continue to be some very traumatic life experiences. Mm -hmm. But I think it just shows the, I mean, to me, it just reaffirms like why I got into this to begin with. Mm -hmm. That's a very good answer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the balance of how to tell a story that is deeply investigative, that has really strong reporting behind it, um, has a really strong narrative, but also balances the fact that we are dealing with these really tremendous human costs. That's been a real challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been something that we struggle with. And I've thought, the story's made me think a lot about our role as reporters, because I think we're talking a lot about law enforcement accountability. I think especially in later episodes, the question of media accountability is going to come up as well. Because there are so many real people in this story who have suffered truly real things. And um, we want to be careful with that, but we also we also want to tell a different story than the story that is purely based on the grieving victims and the brave law enforcement, which is a, a story that is very common in situations like this. Well, uh, 
Madeline Barron and Samara Freemark of the podcast In the Dark from APM Reports. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on The Big Listen and telling us all about it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It was great to talk to you. Madeline Barron and Samara Freemark are the team behind the podcast In the Dark from APM Reports. You can find out more about their show on our website, biglisten.org. It's time for another quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear from the original public radio renaissance man about his listening preferences. I think in in life, the things that we need the most are weirdness and magic. And so, like, wherever I can find those things, I'm attracted to it. That's coming up next on The Big Listen. Stay tuned. This is NPR. Hey, pals, before we get back to the show... I just wanted to remind you that we have a new president here in the U.S. And as things transition, you're going to need the real scoop. And it doesn't get much realer than the NPR Politics Podcast. They have two new podcast episodes each week. So you will know what happened and what it means by the time you get to work or class or the dentist's office. Whatever your morning routine, definitely make the NPR Politics Podcast a part of it as you follow the first 100 days and beyond. Seriously, you owe it to yourself. Subscribe or listen to the NPR One app at npr.org slash podcasts. Hi, my name is Rose. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I am recommending something called Drink, Drank, Drunk. It's a grammar podcast where the hosts drink, commas, pet peeves, things like that, while they sip a Chardonnay and get wild and hilarious. Yeah, it's never too wild, but it is really hilarious. All right, here we go. Oh, God. Brace yourself. We're going to talk about the serial, a.k.a. Oxford comma. Dun, dun, dun. Grammar, that sounds boring, right? I never thought I'd care about commas, exclamation points, conjugations. Oh, I care so much. And I learn so much. Okay, that's what I wanted to add. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, pals, I'm Lauren Ober, and this is The Big Listen. Now, I know you have a podcast recommendation deep inside of you that you are just dying to share with me, right? Well, don't just sit there. Pick up the old horn. Call the pod line at 202-885-POD1 and tell me what I should be listening to because I'm trying to keep up with the cool kids, guys. Come on. Speaking of cool kids... They don't get any cooler than the guy coming up next. For this installment of Listen Up, the part of the show where we grill your favorite pod people, producers, reporters, hosts, about what they are listening to, we have the man himself, Al Letson. Now, you might know Al from his years hosting the Peabody and Murrow award-winning public radio show, State of the Reunion. This is State of the Reunion, and I'm Al Letson. Or you might know him as the host of the investigative reporting show, Reveal. This is Reveal. Or perhaps you know him from his days as a slam poet. Do you hear that? Ball. Bouncing on asphalt. Ringing in the emptiness of a small court somewhere near here. Al is a true renaissance man. Seriously, dude has his hand in all kinds of things. Or rather, Earthang, which is also the name of his podcast. And I am thrilled to have him on the show. Al Letson, welcome to The Big Listen. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, Al, can you just first tell me, like, you are a slash, right? Like, you are a radio host slash poet slash playwright slash actor slash comic book writer slash dad slash cool dude. Like, I don't understand how you have time for all of that stuff. Please give me a tip. I will give you a tip. It's called insomnia. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's true that I, I am an insomniac and I tend to use the time that I am not sleeping uh, in doing different projects. 
But you know what happens is I get really excited about something and I just can't let it go and I have to do it and I have to see it all the way to the end. You know, I think of an idea and I start playing with it while I'm working on other ideas. For example, uh, right now uh, at work, uh, you know, we're putting together new episodes of uh, Reveal. Um, I'm also, you know, working on my own little podcast, Er Thang. Um, <laughs> and so I usually do that like nights and weekends. I do a little bit on Er Thang. Uh, we got a really big episode coming out that's taking a chunk of time. My name is Al Letson, and I do a lot of things, but all my life, people have told me not to. Let me get this straight. You're going to be a poet, actor, a playwright, a radio host, a storyteller, a comic book writer. Man, you you, you can't do everything, Al. But I want to do everything, and that's what this podcast is about. Everything I want to do. Stories, radio drama, documentary pieces, and interviews with some of the most interesting people on the planet. I told you, we going to do everything. Can we just talk about Earthang for a second? I feel like you named it that to embarrass white people like who are trying to say it because it just like every time I have mentioned the the name of your show, I'm like, this is just this is embarrassing. Like, if- see, but it's it's not it's not about embarrassing white people. It's in it's about embarrassing white northerners. Oh, oh, because white <laughs> white southerners can say it pretty easy. Okay, um, but it's you Yankees. Like, I made it to embarrass the Yankees. There you go. <laughs> now. I would like to know because you obviously are a culture creator. You have you have a lot of plates spinning, um, but you also must be consuming a lot of culture. And I'm wondering what you are listening to. Are you listening to podcasts? Do you even have time to listen? I do. I go through phases with podcasts. Like I'm trying to like branch out a little bit more and get because I think it's so easy being that like I came up through the public radio system to just get addicted to those podcasts. Um, yeah. So, of course, I've got the stuff that, you know, is just required listening if you're in public radio, which is TAL, uh, This American Life. In Chicago, it's This American and, Life. And um, Radio Lab. You're listening to Radio Lab. But then, like, the other stuff that I'm uh, listening to, I love Another Round. Hi, everyone. I'm Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to Another Round with Heaven and Tracy. Oh, my God. It's really Heaven. Oh, I can't believe it. Tracy is a and big fan too. of me <laughs> and herself. Everybody. We're excited. We're excited. <laughs> So today is a very special episode. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe that today is happening. We are in Davenport, Iowa. Listen, that's a place, first of all. (laughs) Who knew? We have seen three black people. Yep, yep. (laughs) Two of them were at the airport. (laughs) The other one works in the building that we're in. (laughs) Yes. We are interviewing Hillary Clinton. (laughs) And I'm excited about it. It's gonna be dope. I love those women so much. Um, oh, another one that I'm listening to, uh, Serendipity. Anne Hepperman and Martin Johnson. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I like I like Serendipity. Uh, it's weird. It's so weird, but I like weird. On the night Andrea turned 30, she was alone in her room. So I just looked up, and it is 12.08. A text message made her cry. Her Aunt Nancy called and told her, Literally, I blinked, and I was 30. <laughs> and then I blinked. And now I'm 68. She had to come to terms with everything she'd done before that day and everything she'd hoped to do after it. She remembered the years she'd wasted driving a boyfriend to work, the friends who weren't friends anymore, the language she'd forgotten how to speak. The first 30 years of your life, you spend trying to find out who you're not. She stared at the ceiling and wondered what she wanted from the rest of it. More saying the right things, for her dog to live forever, a pair of really cool sunglasses. Challenge, company, novelty. Oh, I like the heart. I, I, uh, Caitlin Prest. Like, Caitlin yeah. Prest is like, uh, she's like my radio crush because she like, she just goes there. She's just weird stuff that I think that mm-hmm. like, I think in, in life, the things that we need the most are weirdness and magic. And so like wherever I can find those things, I'm attracted to it. So yeah, I like, uh, I like the heart. I'm still in bed. Ray left for work an hour ago. I feel like texting her. 11.53 a.m. Ray, thank you. You are so awesome. 12.22 p.m. Caitlin, I'm still buzzing. Thank She's you. about me all day. I mean, 
1 p.m. Let me know if you want to do anything this week. 1.12 p.m. I want to do everything with you. 1.20 p.m. Come over. 1.45 p.m. Yes. Tuesday. 1.45 I p.m. I think you left your underpants at my house. 2 p.m. Leave yours at my house, and we can call it even. 12 a.m. Sweet dreams. 12.02 a.m. I was just thinking about you. Good night. Wednesday. 3 p.m. I wish we were in your bed with nothing to do in the morning. 3.04 p.m. Make me blush over here. 7.13 p.m. Beautiful Caitlin. Can I come up? If I may make an observation. Yes, please, 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 please. The the three that you just mentioned are all hosted by women. Oh, yeah, because women rock. I mean, <laughs> was it Beyonce? Who runs the world? I mean, girls do run the world, according to Beyonce. Um, Wait, stop, stop, stop. When you say according to Beyonce, you have to give it a moment of breath. You just got to go, according to oh. Beyonce, as in that's the truth. That is from Moses. Oh. It's the law. Bam. <laughs> then you continue. I feel like I should try that again. Okay, let's do it again. Like, according to Beyonce, dum, dum, girls dum, do run dum. the world. But not so much in podcasting. <laughs> We're working on it. We're we're trying. I mean, those are all unique women doing unique shows that I think have a real female inflection to them or at least a point of view, which I appreciate that uh, a man of your stature would take an interest in. You know, honestly, like I didn't think about the fact that all of them were women until you brought it up um, because that's like, because you're an advanced man. I try to be um, <laughs> I try to be one step ahead of the Neanderthals. <laughs> um, it's hard work, though. Trust me, with my pea brain, it is hard work. <laughs> well, Al, thank you so much for sharing with us what you have been into recently. It's been really fun. Thank you. So good to talk to you. Al Letson is the host of Reveal and Earthang. If you want to know more about Al's many projects or any of the podcasts he recommended, hit up biglisten.org. It's got all the details. We've almost reached the end of this week's episode. But before we let you go, it's time for C-H-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. 289 is a really great number because there are thousands and thousands of podcasts out there. And if you can crack the top 300, you're looking pretty good. Now, this week's 289 is a little show called The Diane Ream Show. Apparently it is broadcast from Washington, D.C., which is also the capital of America. Uh, and it is hosted by a woman also named Diane Ream. Thanks for joining us on Diane Ream. This woman uh, apparently has a lot of guests come on the show. Here in the studio, Congressman John Lewis and his co-author. And they talk about all kinds of things like... What does it mean to be a man and a woman and what should the relation of the law be to that? Or the other day they talked about trees. We've had two urban tree movements in America. Now this is a, a daily show apparently, um, and it has been on for some years, perhaps 40 years or so. Um, and apparently, this lady, Diane Ream, is 80 years old, and it's pretty amazing because I want to retire tomorrow, and she just keeps on going. And I had to do a little research about this show, and here are a couple of things I learned. One, President Obama called her a national treasure. The 2013 National Humanities Medal to Diane Rehm for illuminating the people and stories behind the headlines. What else did I learn about Diane? Oh yeah, that she started in radio as a volunteer without a college degree. And she was just trying to figure out something to do with her time. And then all of a sudden, she was amazing on the radio and she got her own show. The Diane Rehm Show, this little show out of Washington, D.C. from a little station called WAMU, is this week's 289. She's a living legend. What else do you need to know about her? If you can hear my voice right now, you know that The Big Listen is a podcast. And that means you can put me in your pocket and take me wherever you want. I'm like a piece of lint. Or like that old wrapper, I'm a gum wrapper in your pocket. I'm a worry stone. You can just keep me in there and just touch me or something. <laughs> 
But it's easier to do that if you subscribe on iTunes or NPR One or any other fine purveyor of podcasts. And after you've subscribed, leave us a review. Your reviews matter, and so do you. And as always, we love us some listener feedback. We're on Twitter at HearBigListen, that's H-E-A-R Big Listen, or email us at BigListen at WAMU.org. And if you're feeling frisky, you can always fill our U.S. mailbags with heaps and heaps of letters. I'm not going to stop you. The show was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston. I, Lauren Ober, was busy re-waterproofing my winter coats. Special thanks to Lion Tamer-in-Chief Beck Feldhouse Adams and to my main man Hans Anderson for helping out this week. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army-Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is produced by WAMU and is distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a final thought from Susanna Summer, host of P1 Podcaster, our Danish sister from another mister. You've been at this game, this podcast discovery uh, curation game for some months. Uh, What are your tips for us? To be as diverse as you can. I think that it's so easy to take all the famous, uh, very popular shows, but I think that to get out in the in the corners and try to find people and shows that should be <laughs> famous and popular because I, I I think that there's a lot of great shows hiding just a, a few centimeters behind. So as we keep looking for great podcasts to share with you, we vow to be radio men with ears on stocks, just like Susanna. Till next time, keep listening, America, or as they say over in Copenhagen. This is NPR. Hey, are you still here? Seriously, what are you doing? The show is over. But since I've got you, how's about you go leave us a review on iTunes? It really, really helps other people, very attractive listeners such as yourselves, find the show. So hit up iTunes, rate us, review us. Please and thank you.